I don't think the Smiths are here today. Uh, do we have the Smiths here? Um, Darlene was to read the scripture, but she's among those we prayed for this morning who uh, are one of our seniors, and it's a little harder for them to, to come out and to do things these days, and so we understand. And I will be reading uh, the scripture today first from Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. And from Acts chapter 19 verses 1 through 7. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the, the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. For the message today, I'm going to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 18. Verses 14 through 18. And as you're turning there, I just want to say a word of thanks to the work that's been getting done on the those who are working on the back. Uh, you've seen it as you come in each week, more and more progress each time you pass through, and it's looking really great. And uh, you just need to know that there are a lot of people putting in a lot of time and effort uh, to, to see that come together. And it is, it is coming along well, and I want to really thank, uh, especially John Heisinger, John Ringer, uh, Terry Dixon, and uh, also my dad, Dave Simpson, wherever you are. He's these, these have been part of the, the core team that have been putting so much into this, and uh, it's really coming together nice. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Paul here writes, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. 
Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this word today, I pray that it will speak to us in this moment that we find ourselves in. And Father, I pray that you will help me to say things that need to be said in the way it needs to be said. And I pray that it will be understood in the way you want it understood. But this is hard. And we need your help. So guide us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our prayer week ended with a final gathering on Wednesday at noon. And it was a really a good time. It was a good week. I, I, I was blessed by the encouragement of being with, with many of you throughout the week as we gathered to pray at various times. And on Wednesday, we met for one last meeting at noon, and we prayed through John chapter 15, where Christ talks about God being the vine and us being the branches and that need to depend on him and to abide in him. And that was at noon on Wednesday afternoon. I then went from there to my office to put the finishing touches on the Wednesday update before sending that out. And I had written the article for the update on Tuesday and um, had it so that it'd be ready to send for, for Wednesday. And, and maybe you read it. I don't know. I, I hope you did. I called the article in there, What the Tongue Can Do. And I shared from the book of James about how the tongue is a flame capable of setting an entire forest on fire. And I wrote in the article, coarse, careless, and deceptive words, especially from leaders and teachers, tear down families, communities, churches, and nations. The unprincipled spread of misinformation is eroding trust at every level, from the personal to the national and we should be grieved when God's people casually play with fire. Fifteen minutes after I hit the send button, rioters breached the walls of our Capitol building. And probably like some of you, I haven't really stopped thinking about it much since then. What went wrong? How have we failed? What does the future hold? I'm hearing people ask, where do we go from here? And I've really wrestled all week with how to address this. And a number of times I've kind of confided in Rachel and said, where do I go here? How? And she reminded me of something, Charlie Young, the late Charlie Young, my, my early mentor who was the superintendent of Ohio 20 years ago, told me, when I had gotten myself into a heap of trouble early on in ministry, I was 25, 26 years old, and uh, there was some people real mad at me, and he, he just said, you know, sometimes, Keith, you, you, you got to have some change in your pocket in terms of leadership capital. And, and I guess today might be one of those days when I need some change in my pocket. Because I'm thinking about these questions and realizing the challenge before us. And I believe pastors should avoid getting tangled up in politics. Politics gives me a headache. 
And I loathe it more and more and more. And is anybody else out there like that? And I won't endorse candidates. That's not what a pulpit should be for. But what happened on Wednesday goes way beyond politics. And I felt such a deep sickness in the pit of my stomach. Wednesday night, when I watched those videos, and I saw the video of that rioter running across the Senate floor carrying a giant Christian flag. I saw it, you saw it, the world saw it. And some are going to say, well, they probably weren't real Christians. Maybe not. But they were only doing physically what thousands of Christians gathered outside were claiming to be doing spiritually. Because the Jesus banners were everywhere. And maybe for the most part, the two groups acted in different ways, but they shared a common goal. And they were there for the same basic purpose. The Christians gathered at the Capitol building on Wednesday were part of what has been called the Jericho March. And this included people like Eric Metaxas, Mike Lindell, and Jonathan Kahn, names that I know are familiar to many. And they called it a prayer gathering for a very specific request. According to Christianity Today, these organizers issued a statement saying this, I quote, Vice President Pence has the ability to elect the president himself, and Jericho March calls on him to exercise his rightful power in the face of the blatant election fraud and corruption. In other words, they were praying to God to intervene by compelling the Vice President of the United States to violate the Constitution of the United States. That's not what Vice Presidents are for. And that's not what prayer is for. Somebody recently accused me of not being pro-life. I was kind of stunned because the charge came from somebody who knows me pretty well. And I chose not to respond because I hope my example can speak for itself. And I'll let God be the judge of whether I'm pro-life or not. But this person had a test for deciding whether or not somebody is pro-life. And I failed their test. And I thought about that again this week. As I realized far too late the darkness of this cloud that has come upon the church. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, he said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. In that statement, Paul instructs elders first. His elders are essentially the, the, the pastors. And he says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves. And I have to confess my sins in this. 
I have got to seek God's forgiveness and to give me humility. Pray for humility. And then Paul says, be careful or pay careful attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And and so I have a God-given obligation to watch over the flock as well because we've been obtained with Christ's own blood. It's a sacred responsibility. So let's go to our text, Philippians chapter 2. And I want to call attention specifically to verses 14, 15, and the first part of verse 16. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. And this is one of those really long sentences we find often in Paul's writings, and he packs a whole lot into just a short amount of space. And I can't address all the points now, but I do want to highlight a few three key things, three, three points that Paul makes here in these verses that we're going to look at in more detail. First, he says this. He says, we are living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We are living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Second, he says, we are to shine as lights in the world. We are to shine as lights in the world. And third, he says, we are to do this by holding fast to the word of life. By holding fast to the word of life. So first, we are living in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation. Some Bibles say crooked and depraved or crooked and perverse. All apply. First century Rome had a lot of moral decadence, a lot of corruption, a lot of injustice, and there were plenty of persecutions going on in Paul's day as well. as He even is writing this letter from a prison cell. And that prison cell was probably nice compared to some of the things he had to endure and suffer. He writes in Corinthians about how he was publicly whipped five times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned one time. He was shipwrecked three times. He was attacked by robbers. He was denied food and water. He was imprisoned an unknown number of times. Paul had a pretty rough go of it. And yet, this book, this letter of Philippians, is known as the epistle of joy because he's constantly rejoicing. He's constantly praising God. He's constantly celebrating. How does he do that? He has a vision. He has a heavenly vision. He has that vision that we looked at last week from Revelation 21 of of, of that throne where God says, Behold, I am making all things new. D.L. Moody once said, This is the land of sin and death and tears, but up yonder is unceasing joy. And that's what we need to remember today. As we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted and perverse and depraved generation, We're frustrated. We can't believe the level of confusion and distortion and deception that surrounds us. Right is now wrong and wrong is now right. And we see all of our most cherished values being trampled on by ideologies that are hostile to our faith. 
And I hear people saying, I know we've sold out. I know we've taken a terrible risk, but it's our only hope. It's our only option because the alternative is going to be so much worse. It's the Flight 93 argument that controls so many Christians today. And I get it because we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. But remember what Paul said in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, if we're living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, don't conform yourself to that pattern. Don't be crooked and twisted with it. Our ways might not seem as strong and as mighty as the world's ways, but the Lord is on our side. Going back to the Jericho March. Prayer should never be about us getting God to do things our way. Prayer should be about us learning to do things God's way. The frustration and the outright disgust at our world today is entirely justified. The perversion and the depravity is mind-boggling. But this problem isn't one that we can easily divide between this group and that group. It's not this party versus that party. Political parties and their leaders will never separate the good people from the bad people. I heard one popular commentator say this week that those couldn't have been Republicans storming the Capitol building because Republicans don't do that sort of thing. In a crooked and depraved generation, there's more than enough depravity to sufficiently cover all sides. But political parties, by their very nature, aim to divide us by making us hypercritical of everything that's wrong with the other side, and nearly blind to the problems of our own side. That's what parties, partly what parties seek to do. And we are living in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. So what does Paul tell us to do in the midst of this? Well, I think we have some direction. He gives us something to focus on. He says we are to shine as lights in the world. To shine as lights in the world. This idea of shining as lights in the world didn't start with Paul. Jesus said the very same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I think the lesson here is clear. As Christians, we're never called to make our nation better by overturning elections. We're called to make our nation better by serving others through good works and by shining the light of Jesus. That's how God is glorified. And one of the shining moments, I think, on Wednesday night came as Congress reconvened and I was watching uh, on my computer as, as the majority leader of the Senate called on Ben Sass from Nebraska to speak. And, and I think he, he kind of nailed it on the head with these words. And I'm going to quote him here. Ben Sass, the, the senator from Nebraska, said this. He said, the center of America is not Washington, D.C. 
The center of America is the neighborhoods where 330 million Americans are raising their kids and trying to put food on the table and trying to love their neighbor. That's the center of America. We're not supposed to be the most important people in America. And he's speaking here to his fellow members of Congress. He says, we're supposed to be servant leaders who try to maintain a framework for ordered liberty so that there's a structure that came back, that, that, that back home where people live, can, can they, where they can get from the silver frame of structure and order to the golden apple at the center, as Washington would have said it, which is the things that they build together. The places where they coach Little League. The places where they invite people to synagogue or church. Sometimes the big things we do together are governmental, like defeating Hitler or like going to the moon. Sometimes there is governmental stuff, but the heart of America is about places where moms and dads are raising kids. And we're supposed to serve them by maintaining order and by rejecting violence. He says, you can't do big things like that if you hate your neighbors. You can't do big things together as Americans if you think other Americans are your enemy. Look, there's a lot of uncertainty about the future. I get it. There's a lot that does need to be rebuilt. But if you're angry, I want to beg you, don't let the screamers who monetize hate have the final word. Don't let nihilists become your drug dealers. There are some who want to burn it all down. We met them this day. But they aren't going to win. Don't let them be your prophets. Instead, organize, persuade, but most importantly, love your neighbor. Visit the widower down the street who's lonely and didn't want to tell anybody that his wife died and he doesn't have a lot of friends. Shovel somebody's driveway. You can't hate somebody who just shoveled your driveway. The heart of life is about community and neighborhood, and we're supposed to be servant leaders. The constitutional system is still the greatest order for any government ever, and it's our job to steward it and protect it. That was one of our senators, not from Ohio, but from the good state of Nebraska. The church always shines brightest when its people serve others. And I'm constantly amazed by the love of God's people. I see it all the time in this church. It's real. It's when you give generously to those who have a need and you don't want anybody else to even know about it. It's when you offer a ride to somebody who, who doesn't have a car. It's when you get groceries for somebody who can't go out. It's when you take kids in because they don't have a home to live in. It's when you give free tutoring because there are so many kids who don't have a decent education right now. It's when you go on a mission trip to Tennessee or, or to uh, Wisconsin or to Haiti or to Nicaragua. I see it all the time, and that's who we are because we are the light of Christ in this world. Back in November, I, I got an email from Christina White. She's the community liaison at Springfield Schools, and she just wanted me to know what happened to her that morning. She wrote me this email that she was in her office at the admin building down at uh, Springfield Schools, and some guy had stopped by and wanted to talk to her. She came out of her office, and she, she, she talked to him, and he said, you know, you don't know who I am, but last year I was new to Springfield. I'm a single dad. I was really uh, in some bad times, and, and my family was in need. And the school and the community and the churches got together, and they gave us Christmas gifts, and they gave us food. 
And I said, he, she said, I was so blessed. He said, I committed at that time to, to, to whenever I got back on my feet, I was going to give back. So back in, towards the end of November, he, he handed Christina White $200 worth of gift cards and said, share these with the, with the other families this year. That's what shining the light is all about. What can we do? Maybe it's just one thing each day to show somebody else the light of Jesus. One thing we can do to, to, to kindly reach out and to remember what, what it means to be neighbors. And we shine by holding fast to the word of life. That's the third thing here I want you to see in this verse. We are in a crooked and twisted generation. We are to shine as lights in the world. And we do this, verse 16 says, by holding fast to the word of life. I realize that in a crooked and twisted generation, there's going to be a lot of deception and a lot of misinformation. And a large part of our problem right now is this sense of futility, I think we feel, in trying to figure out what's happening. Who do you believe anymore? Who can you trust? I think it's interesting and helpful that twice in Paul's letters, he uses a phrase, do not be deceived. And then he follows that phrase with a proverb. He says this twice. First in 1 Corinthians 15.33, he says, do not be deceived. And then the proverb he quotes is this one, bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. The second time he says this is in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. And then he gives another proverb. He says, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Both statements make a similar point. The truth comes out in the end. And if we hitch our wagon to the wrong horse, we're not going to get to where we want to go. But the danger to think otherwise is always there. So the warning is true. Do not be deceived. In a generation where deception is everywhere, we have only one sure place to turn, the word of life. We must hold fast to the word of life. No news source, no matter how reliable you might think it is, compared with the competition, can offer you the word of life. And yet countless Christians today are spending far more time drinking from the internet than drinking from God's word. And I want to offer just a practical challenge. If you're spending an inordinate amount of time soaking in the news and the political commentary of various kinds, step back and keep track of the amount of time you are spending in front of the TV or the computer or the radio. And then decide to spend at least that amount of time or more in the Word of God. See what happens. Because you will not hold fast to the truth if you're not holding fast to the word of life. It's that simple. And so now more than ever, we need ministries like the Gideons. As we were going to have a Gideon speaker here today, we will get one soon. Who spread the word of life throughout the world. Because that's the truth we need.
A final thought, and then I'll be finished. Russell Moore is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's also a member of the, of the a council member of the Gospel Coalition. I have appreciated Russell Moore's writing and insight for many years now. And uh, he wrote this Wednesday night for the Gospel Coalition. He said, we can be a people of truth. And by that I do not mean a people who say we believe in truth or search for endless and ever-narrowing heresy trials for truth. I mean that we are people who, as Jesus commanded us, speak out of the abundance of our hearts with congruence between what we think and what we say. He goes on to say, the problem in this country and in the church is not first that so many people are, fail, are falling for crazed and irrational conspiracy theories. He said, the problem is that too many people who do not believe in such things are afraid of those people who do. I'm not on any social media, but I can only imagine how bad things are out there. And I hear more than enough just in conversations with real people. Russell Moore is challenging people just like me to have a little bit more backbone. I don't believe the conspiracy theories, and chances are you don't either. But how many of us just nod our heads when we're around people who do? Because we're afraid of what will happen if we disagree. And I'll just say from now on, I commit to saying I don't believe that. And I think it's dangerous. My mom raised me with one of her most famous sayings, don't believe everything you hear. Ben Sass was absolutely right when he said, quote, don't let nihilists become your drug dealers, unquote. Conspiracy theories are like a drug. They function psychologically like a drug. Notice the patterns, the obsessiveness, the addictiveness. They pull you in and they start to cause irrational thinking. We believe that Christ can break any chain. We believe that he can overcome any addiction. We have a God who forgives and gives life as we renew our trust in him. So I'm going to finish with just one more quote from Russell Moore. He said, the stakes are high. As the church, we, like Augustine at the fall of Rome, have another city, a city that will outlast all the others. We have, as the book of Hebrews says, another country which we can see from afar. We have, as Paul says, a better citizenship, which is in heaven. But for now, we also have this city, this country, this citizenship. For now, we have a republic, if we can keep it. And more importantly, we have a witness of people who are for integrity, not just for our side, for peace, and not just when our people want it, and for truth, even when telling it comes with a cost. Countries can fall. I hope this one doesn't. But either way, let's not fall with it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will search our hearts and help us to hold fast to the word of life, shining 
as stars in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Guide us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together today.